0: Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors
1: who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12-25 and the life of Abraham. Jonathan. Um,
0: we, uh, it's kind of like um, entering a brand new and different room because
1: last time things were really good, like with the three visitors. <laughs> they had just made this this precious annunciation of the birth of the promised child. And now we get up to leave with them and i just want to lead in with this one verse when the men this is genesis because it's sort of picking up we are in genesis 18
0: verse 16 when the men got up to leave they looked down toward Sodom. and as soon as you read that like it it just gets really sober and and somber because
1: you have to be living under a rock to not know what that means. Like Sodom is is a motif that runs throughout the Bible for wickedness and evil and, and God's judgment. And, and it, God just never lets that go. I mean, we have, even in English today, the, the name Sodom, the, the biblical city it
0: gets turned into a verb.
1: And into a noun, like, for, because
0: of what some of the people there were doing, this is, it's coming to it. It's coming. And the, the way that this starts is Abraham
1: walks down the road with the three visitors, one of whom is God. And God, this is how I understand it, Jonathan, I'd like to know how you understand it says to himself in a soliloquy like this is this is like one of those moments where of a play where everything goes dark and God says
0: something in his heart and he's like should I tell him should I hide it the fact that God was gonna burn this place down and it was gonna look like um, a furnace like it says in the next chapter God's like should I tell him and then he does. He talks. Should I hide it? And
1: he, he look, he could have, Abraham could have woke up one day and all, all of a sudden Sodom and Gomorrah wiped off, off, off the map and Abraham never would have been wiser to it. Um, and the fact of the matter is that God could have done the same thing for us. Like he could have not written this down in Holy Scripture and in a sense hidden it from our eyes that God can judge in this way. But just like for Abraham, he chooses to reveal his plans and his judgment and even his mercy. He he does that for us. And so, you know, Jonathan, like this really resonate. Let's not hide this from people.
0: God decided not to. Yeah, so
1: Jim D, this? you you um you just by your way of entering into the podcast today are um revelatory <laughs> because you dispense with the any like welcome to the notable podcast <laughs> thing like that and you revealed by I, I don't know if you did that on purpose or what, but you revealed um by your lack of introduction, just the very intensity of of this um, scripture that I know weighs heavy on your heart. Certainly, it weighs heavy on the Lord's. We know that. And it weighs heavy on my heart, too, Um, to the point that, you know, we prayed together before. Um, We always do, but I have this prayer uh, that we would uh, reveal the Lord to people in in his heart here well um what what's going on here absolutely we we have a soliloquy absolutely we have a soliloquy and the lord wants to bring abraham into his counsel, and we want to talk about that more before we do i simply want to point out um contextually as you already did that uh these these first verses we're going to look at they're the hinge because before this we have um uh In the evidence of relationship with God. So the Lord and his angels get hosted um, in relationship with with Abraham. And then we're actually going to see in Genesis chapter 19 how um, the Lord and his angels are hosted there, too. And on the one hand, you have an act of incredible hospitality there. And then you have, um, on the other hand, an act of incredible malice. And hostility in Sodom. And so this is, it's programmatic. And the hinge, the hinge right here is this story. And the preface and the preparation to receive Genesis chapter 19 is the end of Genesis chapter 18. And so all of this, and that's how we're gonna be treating it today. Um, This is a prologue to the judgment of Sodom and a, a very, very, very necessary one. It's, it's really vivid, and I, I, I think what we talked about, how we wanted to enter into this this prologue, really, to the judgment of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, was just to notice this. That there's, there's a scripture that says God does not hide anything from his prophets. He reveals his plans, and that's what he does for Abraham here. He, he reveals his plans, and he brings them in to the inside circle that this this has to be done. And, you know, we talked about this, that when it comes to God's judgment and his plans
0: to to judge the wicked,
1: God is often a very lonely figure. He's very lonely. Like, people are like, that's not right, God. Why why would you condemn someone for that? Seems too harsh. Seems too much. And um, he's going to, the reason why this prologue is here, I'm really convinced of it. Is that he wants to bring his believers along? He wants to bring his friends along to help them understand why it is actually merciful to judge. And we'll, we'll talk about that um, in a little bit and how we can become a friend of God in, in understanding his judgment and even accepting it and praising for it, even. Well, listen to this, Timothy. Listen to this. I'm going to read it, I'm going to read these verses. These first 16 and 9 verses 16 19 then I'll let you comment and I'm sure I'll have some comments too but here's 16 and 19 this this is I want to point this out to our listeners um, in the in the in, in generally in church lectionaries you do get um, starting at verse 20 I believe and down and then you get Abraham's prayer but what's left out of a lot of church lectionaries and so I'm trying to point this out so you pay attention to it especially is are these verses? I think that that's actually regrettable because inside of these verses is the reason why we get all this stuff. And we're going to talk more about about, more about that. But here it is. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? So we're going to key in on that a little bit more. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So there's the verses.
0: And what did you want to say about them? Oh, I wanted to let you speak first. I there, I've a I have a
1: lot to say about them. Yeah. So, well, there, one of one of the big things is the chosenness of Abraham, the intimacy that that God invites him into his, in, into His heavenly counsel, and um, wow, <laughs> you you just have to rejoice in
0: that and. Then he gives the, of course, the purpose of that, like what what is this chosenness for, so that he can teach
1: the word of God, so that he can warn and rebuke and and correct and admonish and, and encourage to say, like, look, God is
0: just, and God will judge, and God does save.
1: So he he wants, like, every scripture for us is is meant for our admonishment and encouragement and for our ultimately for our, our edification. He says all of that right there. And this this is just such a vivid example of that. I want to, I want to press in on this a little bit and I'll bet this is going to get you going a little bit too, but look at verse 19. This, this is a revelation here of the purpose. Why are we told about Sodom? Well, I want to, I want to say this first. <laughs> I think this is important too. Why do we get prophecies in the Bible at all? Um, so that we know God is in charge. So we know God is the one who brought it. So, like for example, um, uh, we're, you know we're all praying for Florida and, and now for the Carolinas too. And this is very timely. And somebody's going to watch this too late. You know, they won't know we're talking about what storm or whatever. But um, why do these kinds of disasters happen? Well. Well, people come out and they're all speculative about it. I know why Katrina happened. I know why this happened. I know why that happened. It's speculation, right? And there could be any number of things that the Lord is doing. And I don't, I don't want to go into that, all that kind of stuff today. The point here is when God reveals why the catastrophe uh, over with Sodom happened so that somebody doesn't just say, well, here's a naturalistic f- explanation. Here's a, here's a geological explanation what you know volcano whatever you know as if there could be for burning sulfur but go <laughs> right, ahead. right well timothy <laughs> come on people do that with the exodus account that's exactly what they do with the exodus account modern scholarship goes well we have we have an explanation for the frogs we haven't an, it's and it becomes totally naturalistic and it and and they they don't they the i always say about people who live in this kind of imagination that they actually don't have an imagination for God being the creator of heaven and earth. Um, They can, they only live in a locked box of physics or something like that. And um, here God reveals it before it happens so that they know it's from God's hand. This is not insignificant, but now here's the bigger deal um, that, that the Lord himself points out right here in the text says, so that he, listen to this, this is for us so that he will direct his children and his household after him so he wants us to teach our god wants us to teach our children the story of sodom i mean think about that not just not just david and goliath <laughs> it's great we want that too but here specifically we don't get that with the david and goliath we know that. We, we know I'm not trying to deny that. But here specifically, God says, I want you to teach this to your children. I, um, more broadly, Timothy, more broadly, um, I think churches and church leaders need to think about what they're teaching their congregations. Are we faithfully teaching the judgment of God? Um, if, if you're attending a church and you haven't heard a preaching on Sodom there before, you probably shouldn't be going to that church. You know, Um, this is a big deal, right? Like, uh, depending on how long you've been going to that church, like you gotta be fair about it. But um, this is something God wants us to be teaching the children of God. Um, Going a little bit further and being more specific about it, um, especially for parents out there, um, this is a massive application. We should not be afraid to teach our children about the judgments of God. Um, I'm not, you know, when I go to a funeral, I talk about what death means and why it happens. Um, I show, I show my daughter, um, this is somebody's body. I'm not afraid of it. Um, We need to know about the judgments of God. God wants us to know about it. He also wants just as more. So he wants to know his promises, but here especially says, I also want them to know of God, of my judgments.
0: I mean, this is, this, is, this, is, this is a huge, huge story. And I think
1: that was a really long introduction. Like God himself wants <laughs> us to give a teaching on the story. But what? You know, what what is he trying to show us? Just that he'll wipe you off the map. More than, much more than that. Like much, much more, more than that. that. And wh- what we want to do is kind of center our teaching today on, two cries one is a cry the cry of Sodom and then the other would be the cry of Abram Lord um, is it just or what if there's just 10 we'll look at that so the two cries and then we want to look at how that teaches us both about the judgment of God but also about his grace and mercy because I think it, it teaches us both of those things so let me read Let me read this first cry. And it is, this is the, the shorter part, the shorter cry, really, but it's also the loudest. So this is um, uh, Genesis 18, verses 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So there's the first cry. There's the first cry. <laughs> Jonathan, I think we got to take that. What God says there apart, a little bit of time. The first thing I wanted to just notice is it says the outcry against, against Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, uh, it is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, but it is also the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's it's, it's both. Yes, yeah, so it's not just. It's, I don't want to paint this picture that Sodom and Gomorrah is oppressing somebody else. That that is not in the picture here. It is actually that Sodom and Gomorrah is crying out against itself. So you know this. This is. The people, in other words, the cry is that Sodom and Gomorrah were both victim and villain at the same time, at the same time. And it is, it is a grievous outcry. What, we got to talk about the, the, the categorical sins of Sodom and Gomorrah in a second. But right now, I want to talk about maybe it would be the pitch or or like the output of the cry and it is one biblical scholar named uh, Robert Alter uh, said that this is a shriek this is a shriek so I want to kind of put a box on that and try to help help everybody picture it i looked this up just cuz j- just for fun really but there there's a difference to the human ear between unpleasant sounds And and things that will, like, sounds that will viscerally react to. So, like, unpleasant sounds would be, like, a car alarm in the middle of the night or somebody playing their music too loud. But do you know this, Jonathan?
0: Do you know what the most um, hated sound is? It is listening to someone vomit. I did a study on that. (laughs) So, a close a, second is um,
1: microphone feedback. Have you ever had that happen to you? Oh, now you're killing me. Yeah.
0: So,
1: um, but worse than that, to God's ears, would be, would be this. And I, I don't know what to compare that to. Like, would that be like your neighbor's wife screaming in the middle of the night?
0: And then take that times 10,000. And that's what it sounds like to God. Like this it's is, a sh- it's a shriek in his ears. Yeah. It's a,
1: the shriek of the oppressed. In in other words, each, every time someone was sinned against the sin would cry out to God, God, come down, God, come down, God, come down. Like God, my blood has been spilled. My body's been battered. My, my person has been abused and, and mistreated like God, calm down. That's what the, the outcry of Sodom. and God's here in all of us. Well, Timothy, uh, just to stop and reflect on this spiritually, I think is important. God God here is He's letting us into his own experience through language. And he's helping us understand what this sounds like in heaven to you. Like we have these, there's um, Morgan Freeman often plays God in silly movies. And, and what is it like to hear, you know, all these prayers coming up to heaven? And um, it's, it's always trite and trivial. Here in the Bible, we actually are let just for a second into the experience of what it's like to be God in heaven, hearing the prayers of people. Um, and the prayers that he experiences, this isn't just, hey, Lord, get me a Lamborghini or something ridiculous like that. Um, this is um, my husband's cheating on me, and I am in great pain over his unfaithfulness. And the way that that rises up to God, is it's a guttural scream that runs his heart. So, this kind of anthropomorphic talk is letting us um, think about what kind of experience this really is in heaven. It is that, that I was going to just introduce that word. This is an
0: anthropomorphism where that he hears. So, that's when God takes on human characteristics,
1: even though he's not human, but he's doing that so he can understand. There's another anthropomorphism when he says, I will go down and see which is an echo of him coming down and seeing at Babel um, to see if it's as bad as they say. So like God, that's not actually something that he does because he already knows, but he, he becomes like an inspector general. Uh, he, he becomes someone with an incredible um, hearing so that we can understand that he does hear and that he does see what the sodomites are doing to each other. So Timothy, what we say, what the theologians say about this is we say that God is apophatic. Like he's, he, we can't quite describe him. And what God does then the reformers talked about this is that God condescends to us through language. And the way that he condescends to us through languages, he wants us to be assured <laughs> that his mercy is not fast. His mercy uh, or his judgment is not fast. His judgment is not irrational. His judgment is not hasty. And it's not overdone because that's how our judgment as humans is. And so here God reassures us and he says, look, I've checked it out. I know everything that's going on. I haven't been rash. I haven't been, been hasty. And this is not an overreaction. This has been an absolute shriek in my ears. Yeah, and so so the outcry against Sodom, as the verse goes like this, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great in their sin. It's so grievous. I wanted to cover at least the middle part of those verses in two and just talk about how these are categorical sins. And it's categorical. The the, the theologians actually say that, that the Sodomites invented a brand new category of sin. And the category, this is, we can, we can categorize them in many ways, but the category of sin, I'm going to give you the, the Latin, it's peccata clemancia, which is sins crying out to heaven. It's a brand new category of sins. Um, the theologians actually even had, a, 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 a the kids would memorize this, to heaven cries the blood, the voice of blood, that's the martyrs, So the martyr's blood cries out in heaven. That's the revelation. Of the Sodomites that's happening right here, they're crying out to heaven. The voice of the oppressed, also here in in Sodom, and then the withheld wage of labor, which is in the book of James. So James talks about these same sins, and they're all entering into this category of sins that call out to God because of their violence against other human beings their severity, their intensity. Exactly. And, and so like the, the adjectives that the Lord throws at it are just huge. He calls them great. So, so, so great. Um, in, in, in terms of their, their frequency and, and number, but also grievous. So, so in terms of, uh, of how the tremendous that like in, this is quality and quantity, in other words, this is um, qualitative and quantitative sin. It, they enter into a whole new category, and we could do a lot of dogmatics here, but but the truth is not all not all sin is the same. They, some sins enter into different categories, and these sins entered in into the category of great and grievous, and sins that cry out to God. Right, Timothy. You, you, just to put an exclamation point on what you said, uh, not only should this give us a picture of what's going on here in Sodom, uh, in Gomorrah, but it also should be destructive to some of our false theologies that we carry around. Like um, one of the things we, as Americans, have is a deep sense of egalitarianism. Everything's equal. And so typically, if you ask an American Christian, um, if there's different, you know, if God views sins differently, they're going to say, no, to God, all sin is the same. It's all sin, Um, which, yeah, it's sin, but God does not, do not be deceived. God does not view all sins the same. And we'd have to do a big dogmatic systematic study of the Bible to to point out um, the various sins that are greater than others. Um, and we could even do a dogmatic study that follows upon that, showing that God, God does give different judgments to people based upon the grievousness of their sin. God is no egalitarian here <laughs> when it comes to these things. And sin, as we all know, is not egalitarian either. Um, and this God, the Lord here, is simply recognizing that and making that very clear. We are in another
0: category of sinfulness here. Yeah. So I wanted to, as we look at this
1: cry, we'll look at another cry in a second. I wanted to just at least meditate first on what this means about God's judgment, and then secondly, about, about his grace. What this means about God's judgment, I want to think about it,
0: um, it in this way. Abraham, it becomes incredibly clear to Abraham
1: upon hearing these words and only these words that God is about to wreck Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. He never says it out loud. He, he never, never says, says I'm it. coming. For the, he just, Abraham just knows it. Yeah. He knows it. He knows it. And, and he goes into, um, mediatorial interceding mode right away. So, We need to know uh, about the character of God that he cannot
0: hear the screech of the oppressed and do nothing. He just can't. So that teaches us something about God's judgment. Abraham knew he's going to come down and put
1: an end to it. He knew it deep down in his heart. And and so Abraham jumps into. We um, do have an interventionist God. Yes, yeah, he, he will come down. But, but, and he's done that before, before this, this story in, in Tower of Babel and also in the flood. So this is that's right. another, yet another example. Now, um, the other thing is we have to notice God's grace here. And, and I want to look at this is kind of a back. We have to back into this a, a little bit. But um, I, I've heard people say it, Jonathan. I've heard people say God is love. I agree with that statement. He is love. But then they go on to say that God's a universalist, that God will not condemn anyone, that everyone's going to make it in the end and
0: there's no condemnation for anyone.
1: Now, I do not believe for a second that such a belief is a belief in a loving God. Because what kind of a loving God could allow the shrieks of the oppressed to go on? that's not love. It's kind of like watching a, a woman be, you, you know, and I hate talking this way, but it, I'm going to talk this way in very extreme terms. So plug your ears if you need to, um, on purpose, because what's happening in Sodom and War is absolutely extreme. If you don't believe me, read chapter 19. But this this would be like, Watching a woman getting assaulted, or a man for that matter, and then thinking God doesn't care—he's love the the oppressor, the victimizer, the rapist—he's just going to go to heaven on on his own terms without any kind of repentance. That's not love, and believing in a God like that is an absolute monstrosity. I'm just going to say so. God, even. The fact that God's heart is moved to come down by the shrieks of the oppressed teaches us that
0: even in God's greatest moment of judgment, He's merciful and He's saving. There's, I got a lot more to say about that, but there's a lot of grace in that.
1: You want to add on to that? No, I I think I think that's good. Yeah. I have I have a whole lot more. I'm saving it right now for the next part. So we, yeah. should we move into should we move into the next cry then? Let me read it. So the the next one is a cry of intercession. It's actually one commentator said that this is the first priestly cry in the Bible. I don't know about that because we already had Melchizedek, but this is very priestly in nature, um, very saving. I'm going to read it, and then, Jonathan, I want you to get into it. So it says this. Then uh, the men, this is verse 22, turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the, with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place? For the sake of the 50 righteous people in it, far be it from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will you not judge? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake." Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy. Once again, he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it.
0: I will not destroy it. when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham he left and Abraham returned home. Uh, Timothy
1: here I I want to um, spend just a few minutes with you um, just observing things in the prayer and then work out some theology from it and some applications for the very first thing I want to do is I want to be very, very respectful to this prayer. Um, e- even as we scan it, it's, um, it's quite lengthy. Um, people have, we have, we have trouble, um, trying to describe it. Um, it's, um, it is, it's a, it's a beautiful dialogue, um, challenging, um, some people call it, um, audacious. Other people even call it foolish. What Abraham does, he he seems to um, get in the way. Like uh, depends how we we think about verse 22. And there's a textual question there in 22, verse 22, where it says Abraham remains standing before the Lord. Like, did he get in the way? Um, there's a textual question there, um, or was it the Lord who who got in the way of Abraham? Stand, stood before him what's going on there. I don't think it, it particularly matters, but what we do see is intense relationship here. Um, a a kind of standoff here. And then you get this incredible back and forth. Um, if you start in verse 23, you see Abraham's coming at the Lord with questions. Um, you can spend a lot of time thinking about how Abraham moves down the ladder um, and how the Lord ascends to it every single time. Um, I think I'm going to stop at verse 25 and then let you make some observations about the prayer. Um, I've got more. I just don't want to be selfish in my comments. Verse 25 is where um, we we are grounding the whole prayer theologically. Abraham is grounding the whole prayer there Theologically. Um, let me just read that again to make that point far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked a lot alike, far be it from you will not the judge of the earth do right. So here Abraham is recognizing um, by the title um, and by um, the, the extent of the title so it's the judge of all the earth. Um, who God is and what he has a right to do. This is grounding for the entire prayer. And it's so important for all of us as Christians to get a hold of that. Um, I had a, I love how questions from children um, can be so clarifying. I was asked, I was teaching some kids um, a couple weeks ago, and one of the, one of the kids asked me, um, is it murder? If, if God kills someone? And I said, absolutely not. Um, God has every right to do with us, whatever he wants. (laughs) He's God and we belong to him. Um, He is the judge of all the earth. And this, the child, I could see the child's reaction. The child was like, Whoa, he, he, he was just, he was just taking that in. And I think we all have to take that in. Um, this is exactly who God is. He has every right to do it. Um, we, are, we are entitled to nothing. We live under Him. Um, and we are totally reliant on His grace and the way that He evaluates us and what He wants to do with us. Um, and Abraham knows that and He does not deny that. That's the first thing that I want to point out about how Abraham grounds the prayer here. The second is it is dependent on the righteous. It's dependent on the righteous. He does not want the righteous to be swept away too. He knows that the judge of the earth is not going to do that. That's how he grounds his prayer, theologically and spiritually. He understands how God has a right to do it and how he's going to work on behalf of the righteous. Well, Jonathan, this is so important, and I want to just build on your statement there that that Abraham, he's he's working this out theologically. Like, how can I, how can I uh, intervene here? How can I mediate for the inhabitants of, of Sodom and Gomorrah? And he knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on with regard to the wicked. He, he's not going to be like, oh, these people are human beings. God, you can't, you can't, you can't judge them they they have their own dignity and, and things like that. Like, oh no. Like the the, the Bible's view of, of people is very binary. They're they either they either don't love God, want nothing to do with them, and they want to live their own way, or they're righteous by faith. Like like Abraham. And by the way, this is this is Abraham knows too that he doesn't like he doesn't have a leg to stand on except the fact that God's gracious and he even calls himself. Dust and ashes, which which harkens all the way back to um, Genesis chapter 3. God, I'm a sinner, too. You know, like, I deserve nothing but your wrath and punishment, too. I, I deserve, like, the whole Ash Wednesday thing. But he, so he's righteous by faith. We've already seen that he He can be utterly wicked, too. Like, so, he's not going to go to him on the basis of his own righteousness, either. He, he goes to them with, with the righteousness of faith. Um, and, he, and he cannot appeal on the basis of, of the people's wickedness. He just won't. So then that's the big grounding of the prayer. But, but then I think we can notice this, this, like, we don't want to call it haggling or, or bartering. I think it's a whole lot more sanctified than that. But there's this back and forth and the lord allows himself to be talked all the way down i think it's interesting to see the way that abraham counts he's going to start with 50 he's going to come down to 45 um and and then he's he's going to start going by tens after that and he goes all the way down to 10 and i i i this is a little bit of a pet peeve and i this is i'm probably going to end up doing it myself but um, one thing I, I think at we, as we spend time with the Scripture, we have to realize that that the Lord lays out this process, and He lets us it, um, He lets us move through this process spiritually. And it does take some time. In other words, the narrator never um, He always gives us the full dialogue. There's never a summarization of this, so that so that as we experience the dialogue, we're meant to experience the dialogue. We're actually meant to be taken along. Deeper um, into the experience of this dialogue. And the, uh, the other thing that a couple other things I want to point out is Abraham, he, he all is so interesting the way that he changes his language and uses just about every kind of language that he can find to be humble, um, to be um, respectful and honoring of God as he prays this prayer. And of course, he has to do that because there he is um, right before God, in a way, getting in God's way of what God had just announced he's, he wants he, he's planning to do. I, I want to just notice one other thing about this prayer because I, I think it's important. This prayer in all all of the canon, like in all of all of scripture is utterly unique. You will not find another prayer like this where it, it's Abraham is asking God and he's bartering with God you won't find Abraham praying like this this is this is very unique and it's actually one of the reasons why I don't think I think it's I don't want to call it an abuse but maybe it's a little bit of a misapplication or a misuse to say that this is about prayer because this is this prayer enters into a category all its own like nowhere else are you gonna have um, questions like this. And, and by the way, uh, P- other people have noticed this too, A- A- Abraham's prayer peters out. So if you look at the, the, the way that he's questioning God, it's almost like Job's friends where the responses get shorter and shorter and shorter. And Abraham knows that as they're going along, we gotta talk about this more, the judgment is getting more and more and more just. Like if God destroys the city and there's 50 in it, that seems to Abraham's mind, like that doesn't seem fair. But then he's petering out, he's petering out, he's petering out. And then he's like, I don't have, if there's 10 people and they're still living in that city. um, mm. Right. And one thing, one thing I do want to point out that I think is probably more than just interesting theologically is that it does stop at 10. And uh, people point out that um, this number becomes significant, that if you just have 10, um, 10, you can actually have a synagogue. So 10 is the the lowest number you can have to to actually have a synagogue, a a gathering of of, um, Jewish uh, believers. I'll just point out that Jesus lowers the number in the New Testament <laughs> to two or three. <laughs> you got church if you got two or three um, gathered in Jesus name. Um, Christians have that. Uh, but here's here's a thought from Zviadar um, on, you know, why ten, why ten. he observes, so long as there are righteous men, the wicked may be pardoned. In the hope that good will eventually prevail, mercy shown to the wicked without them would only encourage and reinforce wickedness. So um, helpful, helpful little quote there. Um, at least in Abraham's mind, if there's 10 people there, um, things might be able to turn around. Things, uh, things might end up being okay, but under 10. Um, hopelessness is going to prevail, and, and and it and it sound. It obviously that's what happens in Genesis chapter 19, Abraham is thinking quite, in his mind, quite possibly, maybe there's, a, maybe there's somebody who's who's righteous out there, because um, he had saved them um, a little over a decade ago, um, remember that with Sodom and the, the World War, and we talked about that, and, you know, maybe there's a righteous person beyond Lot and his family, um, it turns out that there isn't, um there it is it isn't and so this was this was the end of the road i, I just want to i want to talk about one the last thing that abram does and then we can just reflect on god's judgment here and his grace but it does say that at the end um when they had finished speaking he left and abraham went home it, there's there's a part of me that this is why I don't think we should make this about prayer, and I think the lection, or the, the, the lectionary probably um, needs to read to, to think about the story again. Um, Abraham, I was trying to think, like, how could he go home after making such an appeal with so much on the line and be at peace and be at peace? And the only thing that I could come up was, w- with was this, that even though um, he wasn't comfortable with 50, he, he got peace over 10. And he actually thought that he had intervened successfully. Because otherwise, otherwise if you think a city is going down, like literally going down, you got to go in there and change the change it. You know, you got to go in there with the gospel, or at least at a bare minimum, go down there and get Lot out. You know, God does that for him. But Abraham goes home, so I just got to believe. It's a little bit of speculation that he actually thinks the prayer worked. He was wrong. He
0: was well, wrong. Timothy,
1: let me let me offer up this this perspective. You you've referenced the le- lectionary a few times, and I want to talk about why you have like in the lectionary it the the cut, the way that the cut or the pericope works, is it really focuses you just here on Abraham's prayer. In other words, what it does is it holds up this particular text as a model prayer in the Bible, um, and then it actually takes other le- other cuts from the Bible uh, about prayer and says, you know, you should pray like Abraham. Um, and we're we're coming at this a little bit differently, and and. I don't, um, here's maybe a prayer of mine that um, maybe this podcast can actually be be the beginning of people actually looking at this text differently. Um, a, a lot like Clowney, um, the theologian Clowney turned everybody's minds around about Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son and said, no, this is really about um, the, the, the elder brother. And he, see, we got to start reading this text right. And I think you and I are trying to say that today, like this, this has prayer, this text has prayer, Um, but it's not about prayer. It's actually not about prayer. And there's some serious questions. Like on the one hand, like God says, it's not about prayer. It's about teaching your children about judgment. He says that. And then on the, on the back half of it, let me just, if this is about prayer, um, (laughs) what, what do you, it didn't work, Timothy like it it didn't work well, and then there's I, there's I, other questions too, Jonathan, like it, you have to look at the psalms where other godly people of faith are actually praying for judgment so what which one is it is it are are we supposed to pray for 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 Christ's kingdom to come, which would mean judgment for the wicked or not and so like we We want to kind of we want to kind of say like this is very audacious and bold and and you know let Abraham be a model of faith for us in that way. but at the same time, we want to honor the actual meaning of you know the direction of the Holy Spirit here too. Well, and so let me I'm gonna make a proposal. <laughs> I'm gonna make a little bit of proposal. This prayer does not change God. It doesn't. The Lord already knew it was this bad in Sodom. Abraham didn't know it. (laughs) Abraham just didn't know it yet. He needed to be brought along. My proposal about this particular prayer in the Bible is that it, it, it doesn't change God. What it does is it changes Abraham. It actually gives Abraham a chance to see just how bad it was in Sodom. And why it was that God was going to come down and judge it. And and this is now, this is what I think it's telling for us Christians. How many conversations have you had, Timothy? I I spent a a good amount of my ministry um, trying to help people understand why God judges. This is, people fight it so hard as if God is a monster. (laughs) As if God is the monster, you know.
0: And what we need to be told
1: is, God is not a monster. He is loving. He is kind. He is slow to anger. He is calling the people. He's heaven's. He's heaven's bloodhound. He's chasing people down, and people hate him, and they run from him, and they and they spite him. Um, God is not a monster. We are. To each other. Sometimes we have to have these kind of stories that reveal that to us yeah, it's I always find it interesting when these stories come up instead of, you know, who is often put on trial,
0: God, as if he was the one perpetrating all this injustice. as if it, it, it,
1: but everything about what God does here, like if I could just go back through the story, everything that God does here is is so gracious. He wants to make sure he's got the right call. He's listening to the cries. He's going to go inspect it. He's going to let Abraham intercept him and intervene. And he, he's going to let Abraham talk them down to 10. And all of it, like, if we could look at how gracious he, he, he is here to Abraham, it's just, it's, it's stunning. And what he's really trying to do is when Abraham wakes up and he sees Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and the Bible says it's like it's like a, a furnace that Abraham could say, and
0: God is just. And I can understand why I had to do that. Because there wasn't even 10. You know, so what I think this says about God's judgment and about us is that human sin
1: is far more extensive than we can possibly believe. It, Abraham couldn't even wrap his arms around him. he was close <laughs> like he's like 50 45 40 30 20 10 he got close but he didn't realize just how far and how deep it ran um I want to point this out I, exactly we we go down the elevator we start realizing this but if you we could just build on what you said, Timothy here God is doing everything right. He's so merciful. He's so gracious. We're going to even find the Lord um, in, in the Bible building on this account um, so that um, a commentator um, can say something like this. Um, we learn from this text, and we read this here, God actively seeks a way out of death for us all. He allows Abraham. He says, yes, if there's only 10. Um, and an, another commentator says that the truth of this text is established, that that the God of justice is also the God of mercy. He's both, Timothy. And so that in the New Testament, James, the brother of the Lord, you mentioned James before because James has has God's heart um, as well. But James will come out and he'll say, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's James. And that really is true so that in the New Testament, um, we have the Lord himself, coming down um, and giving mercy to an entire world that has gone away from him in sin. And one, Timothy, we're talking about God spares people for one righteous man, one righteous act, one righteous life. And now I'm talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what we're, you know, God calls us to turn to him and repentance and faith. And there is mercy that's how merciful, it's merciful for us. That's what Christians believe. That's what we all believe, that by the blood of Christ, we've been, we've been reconciled to God. So how could it ever be, Timothy, that we ever think that God is a monster? I, I just want to build on that. Like we, we talked about sins that cry out to heaven. There's a hymn verse that says, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies. But the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. Or this is the right of the Hebrews who said it even better that Jesus is, quote, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Another
0: commentator said that. God actively seeks a way out of death for us all.
1: God actively speaks a way out of death for us all.
0: And yeah, he does I like that. that
1: quote. He does that through Jesus. Like, this is, he, you, you can see what God is doing here. Like, he's, he's bringing us along. He does not want to do this. He's going to make sure that, that there's no other way. He's going to let Abraham talk him down. There's no other way. There's no other way. And uh, the only way that God's judgment and his mercy can come together is in the cross of Jesus. Because right there, that justice comes down for all.
0: But also mercy for those who, who cling to him in faith. So
1: I got two applications. I got two applications. Ready? Um, we're... The first is just for each of us as individual Christians. The first application is this, is that we need to see the world straight. God does not ever bring judgment because he's a monster. He, he does because we are. And that's got it. We got to let that be known in our own hearts. When God says that he's a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, he's serious about that. He's deadly serious about that. He's, he's he, When he says that I'm, I, I'm a God in Jesus Christ who is full of grace and truth, um, he's serious about that. When God uh, brings judgment or plans judgment, and we know that because Judgment Day is coming. That um, it is never because God is a monster. It's always because we are. And to the extent that we struggle with God's judgment in our hearts, um, is the extent that either one of two things is true: either a we haven't meditated on God's grace in Jesus Christ enough, or b we haven't seen how sinful people are, and we're not bothered by it enough. One of those things is true. Um, and those are those are nice little rabbit holes that we can. Um, go down and think about that a little bit more. So that's the first application I want to make. It's just when God judges people, it's not because he's a monster, it's because we are. And if we ever look at him as a monster, we're getting it wrong. We got it all backwards. Second thing is, um, is this, we got to pass this down to our children. We have to pass it down to our children. Um, We're called, God, let me put it like this. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, uh, that there's, there's four different kinds of love. One of the front kinds of love you can have is friendship. And he said, friends, when they have relationship, they look together at something the same way. They're passionate about the same thing. And what God is inviting us to do. I think that this is really what the story is about. God is inviting us to be a friend of his, like Abraham was. The prophets say that Isaiah, for example, says that, um, Abraham is the the paradigmatic friend of God. (laughs) He's a friend of God. That's what he's called. Um, The Lord uh, brought him into his counsel. And and here they're they're talking together um, like friends. And God is inviting us to come into his counsel. He's inviting us to see who he is and then to look out at the world like he does. and, And view it with mercy and compassion. But yes, also judgment. And he wants us to teach um, our children to be his friends, too, and to live in the world the way that he calls us to live and to see the world just the way that he does, too.
0: If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to note.